Now, Executive Suites with WPRI.com reporter Ted Nisi. Welcome to Executive Suite. I'm Ted Nisi. Always good to have you with us today. We are going to talk about one of the fastest growing and most interesting uh, new industries in America, which is the green energy industry. And specifically today, we're talking about offshore wind. Rhode Island, of course, the first state in the country to get an operating offshore wind farm. And the company behind that is Deepwater Wind. But Deepwater no longer exists because they were bought by a Danish company called Orsted. But their CEO, now co-CEO, has stayed the same. Jeff who is now co-CEO of Orsted, which is what was Deepwater Wind. That's right. Do I have that right? You have it perfect. <laughs> so thanks for being back, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, thanks, you were actually my first ever guest on this I show. I know. Many, many, many episodes ago. Many episodes. You had more hair. Mine was darker. Uh, yeah, well, right. I'm, I'm happy I helped launch your career, Ted. <laughs> exactly. It's Glad still be on because that got yeah. such good ratings. So let's talk about first, as I just mentioned there, the change in the company uh, before we get to your current project. So uh, I have to get used to not calling you Deepwater Wind. Tell people what is Orsted and what does it mean for what was Deepwater? Sure. Well, it's, it's a really uh, uh, great combination for the old Deepwater Wind because Orsted is the biggest uh, offshore wind owner in the world. So they actually own about a third of all the offshore wind farms globally. They did the first one in the world, They built the right? very first offshore wind farm in the world, and they're a Danish company. They're a publicly traded uh, company on the Denmark Exchange. Uh, and they are also the fifth biggest owner of renewables globally. So they're a real super titan when it comes to the renewable energy business. So they're not just wind either? They're principally wind, mm -hmm. but they have some biogas and some, other, and some solar as well. Uh, but if you look globally at all the companies that are building and investing in renewable energy, they're the fifth, fifth largest globally. So it's really quite an honor, frankly, to be part of that team because they're not just innovators, but they really are kind of helping to power this new generation of building renewables globally. And you really built, you were former Governor Kachiri's chief of staff, yeah. and then you went into the private sector, and you, you've led this company pretty much, what year did for you? For about a decade. For yeah. about a decade. Yeah. So uh, it must have been a big moment for you to see something you built when it was really just an office with a shingle. Yeah. You guys doing some pictures of what some turbines would look like yeah. to the biggest company in your sector acquiring you. Yeah, well, we've been scraping along for, for a long time here in Rhode Island to build the Block Island wind farm, but then to kind of evangelize offshore wind up and down the east coast of the U.S. And just in the last few years, it's really started to catch on and really started to fulfill the ambitions that we had for offshore wind. So uh, when Ersted came along and said, hey, you guys are doing it right, why don't we join forces? It just made a lot of sense. Are you still, uh, or is Ersted, I should say, still committed to Providence? You know, we people know that giant sucking sound feeling yeah. where someone, a big company comes in, takes over one of Rhode Island's companies, and then suddenly they're not in Rhode Island anymore. Yeah, no, we're very much committed to Rhode Island. We are just now uh, negotiating an expansion of our Providence office space. Uh, we will more than double in the next couple of years in terms of the number, number of people we have here. Uh, will be over 50 people in, in a couple of years, uh, and we have already outgrown our office space. So uh, we have uh, large ambitions for Rhode Island, and it's going to be our home. So I want to talk about your newest project. So sure. we'll talk a bit more, get an update later in the show on the Block Island Wind Farm. Block Island, I think, is it six turbines on Block Island? Five turbines. Five turbines. So yep. it's a small, it was always called a pilot right. first project. But right. now uh, you and the state have agreed on building, is it 50 turbines? Right. A revolution wind, you're calling it. This is a bigger project, and Rhode Island, the state of Rhode Island, the government picked you last year to do 400 megawatts. Uh, tell mm. us about this project. In fact, I think we have 
a map uh, showing. I'll see which one pops up first. We have a map showing. Uh, do the New England one, Nick. He's talking right to my ear. So this is live television, folks. So uh, we'll have a map pop up, and people can see right where it's going to be. There we go. There so we go. you see a bunch of farms there. What are we looking at, and yeah. how does Revolution Wind fit in? So Revolution Wind is our next offshore wind farm, and it'll be 15 to 25 miles off the southern Rhode Island coast. As you said, about 50 turbines, and those 50 turbines can produce about 400 megawatts of power. Compared to the Block Island project, it's only five turbines, so 10 times the size, but each turbine will also be bigger. So in Block Island is a 30 megawatt project, Revolution is a 400 megawatt project, so more than 10 times larger than Block Island. Uh, and it will be a really big piece of offshore infrastructure that will have the kind of capacity that you would normally expect from a big traditional power plant, a big gas plant or something like that. So uh, we're planning it to, to start construction in a couple of years. We'll be using lots of ports here in Rhode Island and Providence and Quonset to help build that project. And we expect it to come online in 2023. Uh, and we're really excited because we're actually making some news today with uh, the contract for that project is going before the Public Utilities Commission. Yeah, because the financing of these can be a little yeah. complicated. The state will, uh, the state picked who they, and this happened in Massachusetts too, the state right. picked a company to build a wind farm, but then you actually have to negotiate with the utility company that's yeah. going to buy the power from that's you right. to figure out what price you're going to pay. So that's today, exactly right. actually just before we came in, I have it here, National Grid just made the announcement uh, that they have reached an agreement with you for a 20-year contract and the uh, fixed price, which is, it'll be 9.8 cents per kilowatt hour. For people who've been following this for a while, that is markedly low. Compare that to how much it costs right now for the Block Island part. Yeah, which is about 26 cents, yeah. So we're really happy with this contract, and I think uh, rate payers will be pretty happy too. Um, by the estimates that National Grid has, uh, this new project, Revolution Wind, will lower people's monthly utility bills by about 50 cents a month. Uh, and that'll be for the next 20 plus years once we go into operation. So it's a great win, not just for Rhode Island from a jobs perspective, and we can talk a little bit about the jobs that a project like this creates, but also for ratepayers because we will be lowering everyone's electricity bills. So um, what exactly is causing such, again, you're at like about 26 cents on the Block Island yeah. project right now, which was the first one ever done in the country and is much smaller. But still, to get from 26 cents when you negotiated yeah. that roughly a decade ago to just under 10 cents now, what has driven, and we've seen that in other places, the Massachusetts price is yeah. also in the single digits. What has driven down the cost so fast? Yeah. It's, it's a, I would, uh, there are three factors, broadly. One is technology. The technology is getting better. So the turbine technology is getting larger and it's getting more efficient, which means we can produce more power for every dollar that we invest. That's helping drive the cost down. The second thing is scale. Block Island was a five turbine project. Now we're going to move to a 50 turbine project. So we get economies of scale. Uh, so all the things that you need to do for a five turbine project, you have to do those for a 50 turbine project too, but you can divide the cost for over much more power. So that also brings price down. Economies of scale, very similar to manufacturing. And the third thing is that Block Island was the first of its kind. And so going back to that concept that you had of it being a pilot project, there are lots of risks associated with that first of a kind project. We've now proven to the world, to the finance markets, to utilities, to regulators, that we can build these kinds of projects and they can be successful. 
and that reduction of risk helps us to bring price down as well. And I, I, we have to go to a break in a second, but I should go back to you. We mentioned Revolution Wind is going to be 400 megawatts for Rhode Island. Rhode right. Island will get 400 megawatts yes. from it, I should say. Um, put that into normal people terms. You know, how much power is that? How many houses is in that? Probably about 270,000 houses. That's the amount of power it'll produce in a year. Uh, it probably will, it will be able to produce about a quarter of the energy that we use in Rhode Island, 25%. <laughs> And it, because it's, it's a win, but yeah, and because if it's a wind farm, people wonder, well, is that you know, is that only a few days of the year when yep. it's a hurricane? Right. Is that most of the time? Yeah. I mean, how do you, you know, the gas plant? You turn it on, you right. start burning the gas, and it'll stay on until the gas runs out. Right. Uh, you can't control the wind; God right. does that. So, right. yeah. how do you, uh, how do you decide when you're saying how much power it's going to generate? Yeah, so that's that's on average over the course of a year. So, uh, but we also know from our Block Island experience that the Block Island wind farm last year was producing energy about 85 percent of the hours of the year. Some, some energy was coming out of the Block Island project. It may not have been at full capacity for every hour, but it was producing some energy every hour. And then ultimately it's up to the grid operator. We have an operator in New England that controls all the power plants across the six states of New England. Uh, and it's their job to make sure that if, if a wind farm is kind of powering down, that there's some other kind of plant that's powering up. And if some other kind of plant is powering down, that the wind farm is powering up. So they're balancing all the system at once. Got it. All right, we're going to take another break. We have much more to talk about with Jeff Grabowski from Ersted, uh, formerly Deepwater, about the wind industry, how the Block Island project is going, and what he sees in the future for the industry. So stick with us on Executive Suite. Welcome back to Executive Suite. I'm Ted Nisi, and we're talking today with Jeff Grabowski. He is the co-CEO of Ersted, big, big wind company that just came into America, uh, or that is expanding America, partly by buying Deepwater Wind, which is a more familiar name to Rhode Island. And uh, Jeff has led Deepwater Wind for about a decade and now is with the new merged company. We were talking about, before the break, uh, Jeff, Revolution Wind, this 400-megawatt project that you're moving ahead with uh, that Rhode Island is involved in. I believe, though, Connecticut's also going to buy power from Revolution Wind. That's right. Um, so yep. explain a little kind of as best you can, because it does get complicated, sort of the interplay between you building the wind farm, the states deciding who they want wind from, you yeah. selling the power. I mean, how yeah. does it all, what's the simplest way to say how it all comes together? So I think you probably, the best way to, to describe it is that we have lease areas off the coast, off the Atlantic coast, that the federal government through the Department of Interior leases to developers like ours. Because the feds own that. They own the water. ocean. Yep. They own the, the, the land under the ocean. So we have leased areas, large areas off the coast and there's a certain number of turbines that we can put in those areas. We could probably build about 4,000 megawatts worth of power in the lease areas that Ersted controls off the coast of the U.S. And that's just your company? That's just our company. So now it's our job to sell the power, the potential power that we have out there. And we can install one turbine or we can install 500 turbines. And it really is up to the customer, in this case the states. So in the, in the case of Rhode Island, they chose uh, an offer that we made to them to buy 400 megawatts of power which is about 50 turbines worth for that piece of real estate. But we have more room out there than just the room we need for those 50. So we also offered several hundred, 200 megawatts to the state of Connecticut. So that's another 25 turbines. So we can, we can add turbines incrementally to meet the demand that the states have. Now, I think we have another map, a zoomed out map, that also shows some of the other places in the country yeah. you guys have leases along with New England. And one of the questions I have, you see it there, you have some, some ones further down the coast. Right. Do you have to 
Uh, let's say you wanted to take the one off New Jersey and send some power to New England because someone yeah. wanted to buy it from you here. Is that feasible or do you need to build the wind farm close to the place the power is going to go? Yeah. How do you think that through? You need to build relatively close. So you, you, re you realistically couldn't bring power from New Jersey to New England. Um, for our New England projects, we will install uh, a cable. Uh, that goes under the seabed, frankly, from the turbines, and that will go all the way to the coastline on the southern New England coastline, and we will plug that cable into part of the existing grid, electric grid. So we'll either go to a substation that's already there, or we'll build our substation next to one of these really large transmission lines that you see. Not the small ones that are in neighborhoods, but those really big, huge overhead lines that are on those big, uh, you know, tall steel poles. That's the, the system we need to tap into. And part of why you're getting uh, selected by states, whether it's Massachusetts selecting a wind farm, Rhode Island, uh, Connecticut, is I believe it's because these states have set out goals for yeah. renewable energy. And as part of that, they do a process to figure out who's going to provide it and meet the goal, right? Yeah, the states up and down the East Coast in particular are trying to build new power plants to replace many of the older power plants that are going away. Um, there have been a number of big plants that have retired in recent years. Um, anyone who's ever flown into TF Green sees the big uh, smokestacks over in Somerset. Uh, Brayton Point. Brayton Point, which just retired. It was the biggest power plant in New England, biggest coal plant in New England when it retired. Well, it went offline in 2017. And that is emblematic of a trend that's happening across and, uh, the country. And one of the nuclear plants in our region. That's you, right. right? Yeah. Several have, are, are either planning to retire or already have retired. So the power plants that we built in the 50s and 60s and 70s are starting to retire. And that's hap something happening globally, uh, as well as here in the Northeast. And we're starting to replace them with new sources of energy. And many states are making the conscious decision to replace those aging power plants with renewables. People are going to wonder, you know, again, you think of the traditional put oil, put gas in the power plant, and then burn it, and then right. that sends the power out. You're depending on the wind. If it's solar, they're depending on the sun. Are we going to have to build differently because you, you need, as you even said, a backup? If the wind's not blowing that day, you want something right. else to send power right. and enough power through the region. How, are, how is that going to be managed by the, yeah. it's not your problem to some extent, but it is no. for the broader electric grid. So I think you should think of the energy system really as a, a mix of resources. Every part of the country has a mix of resources. And what I mean by that is that the the energy from our power plant isn't going directly to any particular person's home, so that if our plant stopped running, that home would go offline. That's not the way it works. You're getting your energy from the grid generally, and the grid is getting energy from a variety of power plants, some solar plants, some gas plants, some nuclear plants, and offshore wind farms. So there is a system that is managed regionally that um, makes sure that there's always enough power because even a traditional power plant can go offline. Uh, a nuclear plant could have a, a water cooling issue, uh, meaning that the whole nuclear plant goes off in the blink of an eye. Uh, and the utility manager uh, makes sure that there are enough different resources to back things up. So you don't specifically build power plants to back up renewables. You integrate renewables into the existing system because there's always a mix of renewables and non-renewables on the grid. Do you think there will, all, you know, there are people, especially the folks who are really environmentally conscious, who would love to see a 100% renewable electric grid, no more burning anything. Yeah. Do you think that's feasible, at least well, in our lifetimes? Ersted's uh, corporate vision is a world uh, powered entirely on green energy. So we do think that it's something that we're going to get to. It will require not just offshore and onshore renewables, but it will require a different kind of grid. 
It will require us to balance the grid differently, and it's going to require more battery storage as well. Mm. And how's the ba- yeah, the there. battery is a huge issue too, because if you could, during a hurricane, save some of that in a battery yeah. and send it back out when on a, on a nicer day, yeah. that'd be huge, but the battery so batteries, tech- so batteries are being used uh, across the country and across the world right now in renewable power uh, projects. Um, they're becoming increasingly common paired with solar farms. So solar generally produces almost all its power right in the middle of the day. And like wind, we should say solar has also seen this amazing crash in prices in a a positive way for the consumer. We're going to see batteries increasingly used in renewables. They're being used all the time today, but those systems are going to get larger and larger and larger over time. And it's kind of the same story that we've seen for onshore wind, for solar, and now for offshore wind. As the industry becomes more mature, the technology is getting better and the power prices are coming down. All right, we got to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Jeff Grabowski on the jobs outlook with the wind farms and about Block Island and what they've learned from their experience there. Stick with us on Executive Suite. Welcome back to Executive Suite. I'm Ted Nisi, and we're talking today with Jeff Grabowski. He is the co-CEO of Ersted, big wind farm company that just recently bought his old company, Deepwater Wind, which is now part of Ersted. Jeff, um, I'm so glad, by the way, that you got the Ersted well, pronounced actually, right. I will say I've actually switched probably in the course of the yeah, show because yeah. you're an Ersted person, yeah. and I've seen things that say you can say it either way. The Danish O is pronounced as E-R. Yeah, actually, and I should say we, we tried, but our system was not letting us put... There's a little slash through the O in true exactly. Danish style. Exactly. So uh, if you hold your O down, if you're on a Mac, it will play, but we couldn't get it on TV. But uh, we're sorry to the Danes who are yep. watching. We'll, we'll work on that. Uh, so when you originally pitched the Revolution Wind Project, the one we were talking about before that Round's going to get a bunch of power from... You were focused on getting Massachusetts to buy it. You had competitors. They went with somebody else. As part of that, you were talking a lot about jobs for Massachusetts uh, as part of that because the states all want things built in their state if they're they're giving you a contract or getting the utility to. Now this is a contract for Revolution Wind with Rhode Island. So will there be a shift of the work for it into Rhode Island, do you expect? What's the outlook on jobs there? Yeah, so part of what we're going to do with uh, Revolution Wind Farm is that we're going to invest about $40 million in our ports in Rhode Island. Uh, some combination of the Port of Providence and Quonset, uh, where uh, we will be doing some upgrading of those facilities so that those facilities can handle the components that we're going to bring to Rhode Island. Um, we will create somewhere around 800 direct construction jobs over the course of the project, uh, and the economic multiplier effect of that is probably 3,000 direct, indirect, and, uh, and uh, uh, jobs. Uh, and uh, we'll have a long-term operations facility here in Rhode Island. Probably 50 or so people will be helping us to maintain the wind farm over time. So there'll be very substantial uh, operations happening in our ports here in Rhode Island. Many people saw the construction of the Block Island project. Uh, and so we're going to see something that's a magnitude larger than what we saw for Block Island. Here and when will we really see construction ramp up, do you expect? Yeah, so the project will be in operation in 2023. And kind of working back from there, we need about two years to put it in the water. So 22 and 23, we're working offshore. And in order to be in that position around 2020, we'll have to start doing some work in the ports. And when people think, we showed the map earlier, but when they think about how far out this is, will you be able to see it from anywhere onshore? It'll be very difficult to see from onshore anywhere. I think uh, we'll be a minimum of 15 miles from any spot onshore, uh, and most of the project will be well beyond 25 miles. So it'll be, you'll need to get out on a boat. So block You'll I- see it from the plane, though, coming to TFA. Oh, you see it coming sure. in. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, so the Block Island wind farm, we were talking yeah. about the pilot project that's in operation now. Well, first of all, there, you were talking about people working on maintenance of the new wind farm when it's up and running. Are there right. people 
are there people? Is it like a lighthouse? Are there people who live out on the what farm? Do they go out there? Nobody How does that work? There. Okay. People do live on Block Island. Yes, but, I but knew no that. one But no one lives at the wind farm. Okay. Uh, no, we do have a full-time uh, team. So we have, uh, there are about 10 people who work out of Quonset whose job it is to maintain the wind farm. Those are technicians. They actually work for GE because it's a GE turbine. So GE had to open up a shop in Quonset to uh, have a facility where they could maintain the wind farm. And there probably are about another 10 or so people who work uh, either for the vessel company, because we have to have our own vessel to get out to the wind farm, or work for uh, deep water directly. We've got several folks who work for, uh, work for us who live on Block Island, actually. And so what have you learned from Block? I mean, there was so much hoopla when Block Island went online. It yeah. was the first, and is the only, it's still the only, right, it's offshore only. wind farm in America. Yeah. We'll see these projects uh, right. will we'll add to the list. What, what did you, what surprised you? What did you learn from that? We talked about the building of it for so long. Mm. It was in preparation for so long. It's up and running, and it's been up and running for a while. What, what are, were your biggest takeaways or things yeah. that surprised you from uh, getting, you seeing know, it in operation? Yeah, probably that uh, it takes longer to happen than you think it will take. <laughs> That's probably the first rule. Uh, you know, we, when we first proposed Block Island in 2008, it was supposed to be in, online, I think, in 2012. Yeah, it sounds right. And obviously it didn't come online until 2016. Now, it was the first of its kind, so those delays are maybe not, uh, it's not something you wish to happen, but there, we probably should have anticipated some more delays. Um, that's sort of the first observation. These are hard projects to do. Not just offshore wind, but look at any big infrastructure project, particularly any energy project, whether it's a transmission line or a pipeline or a new power plant, whatever it is, they're complicated projects to get done. Uh, so you need to be in it for the long haul. Uh, the other takeaway is that you know, once the project is up and running, people kind of forget about it. <laughs> we don't hear from people complaining about the Block Island Wind Farm anymore. Uh, and fishermen sometimes still get mad. Yeah, there are, there are yeah there are a few folks, but uh, but but other than folks who have a really specific sort of issue, the general public isn't mm -hmm. complaining about. It. People who live on the island are quite happy about it. Uh, it is it's something that's just kind of melding into the community now. Uh, the advantage of this next kind of this next project, Revolution Wind, is that it's so far offshore that, frankly, no one will be able to see it in, unless they actually want to go see it. So, uh, final question: We only have about a minute left, Jeff. Um, you know, you you know, you get into this. Obviously, we haven't touched on it too much, but this is all part of the conversation around climate change. Yeah. And you're a company, you're looking to make a profit on these projects, but you're also part of the efforts to kind of stave off what could be some very severe effects if, if, if they don't change up a bit of how we get our energy and develop yeah. electricity and everything. I mean, uh, how do you think about that piece of it um, and sort of the, the mission side of this, separate from the business and profit side of it? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, it's Ersted's company's vision to have an entirely green uh, energy world, and we're getting there. Um, we need to step up our efforts across the board, and I personally am an advocate of an all-of-the-above kind of renewable strategy. I'm not uh, particularly partial to any one technology beyond my sort of day-to-day -day job. I think we need to build solar. I think we need to build wind. I think uh, we need to build any technology that will help us get there because it's a pretty urgent crisis that we have. All right, Jeff Grabowski, co-CEO of Ersted and uh, former CEO of Deepwater Wind, which is now no more, RIP Deepwater, because we have Ersted to replace it. Um, and we will go out to the wind farm when it's built with you. Maybe we'll tape an executive suite uh, underneath it or something, if we can hear ourselves. Episode number 1,000. Yeah, exactly, our anniversary episode. Yeah. Jeff, thanks for being here. And thank you for joining us. Remember, if you missed any of this episode or any other episode, you can catch them all on WPRI.com, or you can subscribe to Executive Suite as a podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next week.